0: It is time for another episode of The Steam Room. Charles Barkley, Ernie Johnson. We appreciate you subscribing to the podcast, and we appreciate you being here. It's going to be a good show. If you've been a fan of Stugatz and uh, and Dan Levitard, both of them joining us on this episode.
1: Me and Stu are cool, but Dan is a really good friend. It's going to be fun. Yes. And, and before we
0: get to that, we get to uh, the way we begin every episode of The Steam Room, and that is... Chuck's favorite
1: phrase, first of all. First of all, you know you have a lot of money when you get 100 nut Cheerios. I've had the regular Cheerios. First of all, you know anybody ride a motorcycle who makes millions of dollars is an idiot. First of all, zero plus zero is zero. First of all, baby, people tried to start this controversy between me and Draymond the other day. And listen, I like Draymond. He's a good kid and he's a really good player. But I don't understand what point he was trying to make. Teams can come out and continue to say, oh, we're trading guys, we're not playing you. And yet we're to stay professional. At some point, as players, we need to be treated with the same respect and have the same rights that the team can have. People think I was taking a shot at him. I wasn't taking a shot at him. Listen, in every working relationship, the employer has the upper hand. I actually think, in fairness, sports are one of the we're probably in the best position out of all the employees in the world. We get paid the most. And most of the time, you stay in a place where you want to be. I don't want people to think I was trying to take a shot at him. I'm just, I was trying to figure out what point he was trying to make. The employee or employer always has the upper hand. I work for Turner. You work for Turner. I mean, they can let us go anytime they want to. That's just the way this thing works. Uh, At every job in the world, At every job in the world, if you work for somebody, you're not your own boss, they have the upper hand. That's just the way this thing works.
0: Are you you talking about the comments that Draymond made about uh, sitting players out?
1: Yeah, I actually, listen, if I'm trying to trade an asset, I don't want them to get hurt and be stuck with their salary. So uh, that's just common sense. But I think his point he was making, like, Yeah, it is a double standard. People get mad when players don't have, very few players have power. They can't just be traded anytime they don't want to. I have no problem with a team like I'm trying to trade a player or a player wants to be traded. I have no problem with that either. But I'm not sure what point he was trying to make about the employer having the upper hand. At every job in the world, the employer has the upper hand. They can fire you anytime they want to. That's just how the world works. Just want to make sure people think that they tried to take my words back. The, the me and Draymond are beefing. Me and Draymond, hey, listen, I like Draymond. I enjoy working with him. I look forward to working with him in the future.
0: It was a lot of fun when we had him in the studio, and I know you were on the arena with him, and you guys uh, were getting along famously. So I know you. I know you've had some some moments in the past, but it seems like uh, it seems like things have been smoothed out, and nothing that, that can't be remedied over a, a, a beverage after work.
1: That is definitely correct. We've got a double-barreled guest list today. Yes, we do. I'm excited.
0: Dan Levitard and Stu Gods fixing to join us next here in the steam room.
1: Are we able to handle this? Well, listen, honestly, people know Dan Levitard is one of my favorite people in the world. And then, I don't know who this other dude is, <laughs> but this is really, really special, Ernie. Yes,
0: we welcome Dan Lebitard and Stu Gatz into the steam room. And guys, there is only one rule. When you come into the steam room, please uh, keep your towels on. And uh, and we we thank you so much for, uh, for joining us.
1: Hey, I've seen Dan half naked. Please keep your towel on, Dan. <laughs> no one told me what the rules were. I am nude right here. <laughs> That'd be very Shaq-like. That's very Shaq-like.
2: Here's what I'm wondering, Charles. Who was most likely on that TNT pregame show, on that set, to be the nude guy in the song? Two comfortable nude guys. Oh, Shaq. It's just Shaq easily.
0: (laughs) We did a Zoom show last year during the pandemic, and Shaq got up at the very end and revealed he was only wearing underwear. So, guys, how long y'all been
2: a tag team? We're going on, I think, 18 years now. 18 or 19 years, which is... I think as you guys know, is, is odd in this business. People usually don't stay uh, together for that long, whether it's ego getting in the way, health, getting in the way, there could be a number of reasons, but I cannot believe for the life of me that Dan has endured me on a daily basis for 19 years now. Because I know I'm impossible to deal with. Oh,
3: but no, you guys know this. You guys know this as a team that's also endured 20 years. Like you guys have, you love each other and you become a family and you like each other and all of that chemistry spills out in what it is that you're doing you guys are the you guys have been the same kind of team no matter who's around you The you you two are that kind of team and it's because you love each other i'm sure charles would do anything for you
1: ernie just for ernie though not for kenny and Shaq.
0: you're absolutely right and you and you know the feeling that i mean it's been 20 years together for me and chuck and kenny i've been here for 30 years so kenny was here before chuck and then shaq has been here the last what eight somewhere like that but yeah, you know, it's a rarity because somebody always thinks they have a better idea about who's going to work. And well, if we put this person with this person, but I think chemistry and all that stuff is impossible, impossible to predict. Stu got you hired Dan, correct? I mean, I'm right on that, right? Yeah, I started, so I started
2: 790 The Ticket, like back in the early 2000s, where sports radio was really flourishing on a local level, and most major markets had not one, but two sports radio stations. So I'd worked at WQAM, which had been around forever, and I was producing Hank Goldberg's show, and I thought to myself, there has to be a a better way to do this um, than the way they were doing it, meaning I wanted to be younger, wanted to be hipper, wanted to try some different things. And Hank Goldberg, towards the end of his career, and he spent basically his entire show. I didn't know Dan. I read his columns in the Herald, but Hank would spend basically the entire show ripping Levittore. <laughs> and I said, if there is someone out there that is making Hank this furious and this emotional, I need to find who this person is and go hire this person. So I did so when I started the new radio station. In fact, I told Dan, I said, Dan, I'm not starting the station unless you're doing afternoon drive. And he agreed to do
1: that. Well, you scared me for a second when you said younger and hipper. I was trying to figure out how you were going to get back to Dan Levitar. So I'm glad I'm glad you bought that full circle because I don't think younger and hipper when I think Dan Levitar. But I'm glad you cleaned that up. That's it, it was 20 years my, ago. It Kim. was
3: my early 30s. And that is great. Chuck, you know this. You know how insecure, uh, and Ernie, you know this too, media members can be. So I do pass, or did at the time, younger and hipper, but we're grading on a curve. It's the sports writer curve. It's not the athlete curve.
0: Was there anything, you know, in my dealings long ago, Dan, as a member of the, the electronic media, you know, back when I'm a local sports guy in Atlanta, and there was always this vibe from the writers at the AJC that... They look down their noses at, oh, I'm never gonna do that. And oh, those are just the, you know, we're the real journalists, we're the print guys. And and then all of a sudden you'd see a few guys sticking their toe in the water on radio and TV. Was there any hesitation on your part or anything in you that said, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go that direction?
3: I was covered in that same sort of moralizing pseudo-intellectual judgment when I was a <laughs> newspaper guy making twenty-five thousand dollars a year. And I'm at the press conference where Jimmy Johnson is leaving the University of Miami to go coach the Dallas Cowboys. And I see someone making a lot more money than me get out of a TV truck holding his only tool for the trade which was a hairbrush. He didn't even have a microphone. He just got (laughs) off of the van uh, to cover the press conference with a brush. And I'm like, this guy's making four times more money than I am. I need to do something (laughs) differently here because my judgment and the nobility and fulfillment of the writing art craft, I need to go eat some cotton candy because uh, that's a really silly way to look at it. But yes, newspaper writers uh, covered in their insecurity did look down their noses at, uh, at the TV guy.
1: You know, I had this conversation with Mike Wilbon, who's my mentor and my big brother. He's like working at the Washington Post for 100 years and making some money, gets on a hit TV show and makes four times the money. He's like, this is crazy. I mean, television, have you been shocked, surprised how crazy things have gotten from going from print journalist to being the face of TV?
3: Well, Ernie, you know this. I remember having this conversation with Chuck about Chuck is now doing Saturday Night Live across four or three or four damn decades. And I'm like, how is that possible? That doesn't even make any sense. It's been, there are a whole lot of people who have no idea that Chuck used to be enormously athletic. They don't even know that side of of his life uh, because he's been on television for so long. And the thing that Chuck said is just the power of television. If you're on television for a long time, people feel like they know you or whatever whatever it is that that ends up being. And so uh, what's happened with us here in terms of being on television for a while has brought us uh, just an absurd amount of reach and popularity that uh, that we will miss now, that we are not on ESPN <laughs> and don't have the reach of the platform that's on every sports bar uh, in, in America. But it's been interesting to see what's happened with ESPN and at ESPN And with us at ESPN. Uh, Guys, I
2: think this is interesting because what I told Dan when I was trying to get him to do the show was people are going to view you in a way on radio that they'll never be able to view you uh, just reading your columns because your personality doesn't come out. And Charles, you've gotten to know Dan very well. And so, you know what a warm, kind, genuine, funny person Lebetard is. And that would never have come out in print media. And it's why I so badly wanted him. Uh, to do radio and then ultimately
3: TV. But, but you guys have seen, though, what I would think, Ernie, because I know you care about broadcasting. I know you care about journalism. I know you care about sort of the craftsmanship of all of this stuff. I would be interested to hear what you guys have to say because I know Chuck does the same thing where he keeps he keeps beating up on Bayless and First Take and, and whatever it is that ESPN is making the story of the day. But what you guys have seen happen over the last 15 years at ESPN is They took all those sports sections that were so important back then when we were talking about sports sections. ESPN took the credibility of all of the newspapers, put them on around the horn, pardon the interruption, bought all the watchdogs that keep an eye on everything in sports journalism. And next thing you know, the sports section is largely dead. And now ESPN is largely getting out of the journalism business because they didn't ever have to be a journalism company. They chose to be for 20 years a journalism company uh, while trafficking in some of those newspaper credibilities from, you know,
1: a bygone time. You know, it used to be like, they used to tell me what to say, what to think. My thing was, I used to hate the media to a certain degree because it's like, no, that's not what I said. I want to speak for myself, but this is before the advent of social media. So I'll give you an example. I remember sitting at home watching television one day, and two of my favorite people were Darren Dalton uh, and Leonard Daxter at the time. Philadelphia Phillies. Yes, and Darren Dalton says, you know, we got to do better around here. We got to start holding each other accountable. We got to demand more out of each other. We got to do this. And When I woke up the next day, the headline was Barkley Bash's teammates. Because I, I, I said, wait. I just saw yesterday, y'all were telling what a great leader Darren Dalton was when he said, I just actually plagiarized his exact speech. Darren Dalton's a great leader. And then the headline tomorrow is Charles Barkley his teammates. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to take this anymore. I'm not going to take this shit anymore. I'm going to say what I want to say, and y'all just going to deal with it. That was actually pretty much the turning point because back in the day, you know, you only dealt with a media guy. And then my favorite bullshit excuse, Dan, was, well, we don't write the headline. We just write the article. That used to drive me crazy. They're like, no, I talked to you. I told you something, honestly. And then you let some asshole put the headline, made me look like a fool. And I'm not doing that anymore. And that was actually the turning point in my talk dealing with the meat. I said, you know what I'm going to do? Clearly, I can't make all y'all happy. I'm going to say what the hell I want to say and y'all just gonna deal with it going forward.
3: I can't believe he's been able to do this for that long. I can't believe that since then, for 30 years, he's been able to do whatever the hell he wants on television. He says whatever
0: he wants. No, you know what I liken it to, uh, Dan and Stu, is he's Ted Turner. There were just a few guys who had that diplomatic immunity who can basically say anything, and they say, well, that's just Ted being Ted. And it was the same, well, it's Charles being Charles. Whereas, you know, anybody else on the show, Did not have the equity. You know, because he's been doing this so long, if it comes out of somebody else's mouth, it's like, okay, how how long is the suspension going to be for this guy?
3: Ernie, I'd make the argument that Stugatz is the closest thing that there's allowed to be in the sports media to Charles Barkley, where nothing sticks to him. Nothing ends up sticking. I, I'd say there's no, that second place. It, there's a distance between Charles and everyone else. But right. Stugats is the closest thing that exists in the sports media to well, that where he can say whatever he wants. Well, that's because Charles
2: was great at something. I'm just stupid. So people just, I mean, that's that's kind of the way it works for me. But Charles, you once told me, I don't, I don't know if you remember this, excuse me, uh, but you once told me I had one of the best jobs in America because I could say whatever I want to say. I'm sitting next to this pillar of journalism right here. And you said I had one of the best jobs in in all of sports media, and I would say I do.
1: Close second, you, Charles. Okay. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, that thing that you do, your your observations you for get the into week,
0: observations.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, first of all, they were <laughs> hilarious, and they were true, and they always ended the same way with <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> one man. <laughs> but the one thing about it is, I feel really good about the stuff I say. Like I'm I'm gonna always be honest. That doesn't mean I'm right all the time, but I don't like one of the reasons I don't like Skip Baylors is I think he just says stuff to get a rise out of people. Clearly he hates Aaron Rodgers. Clearly he's got a, a bone to pick with certain guys, but I've never got on television. I feel good about this and said anything bad about a person just for dramatic effect or to get clickbait. I'm going to b- always be honest. And I think the reason people give me, I'm not even sure it's the past. They're like, well, Charles is coming from a good place.
3: Ernie, why does he land differently than when Shaq does that to Donovan Mitchell and it ends up feeling like cruel or mean or disrespectful? Why is it that Charles has a wider berth there than Shaq does?
0: I think it's because of the longevity Charles has as being a mouthpiece in, this, in sports. Going back to when he was a player, going back to Auburn, going back to everywhere, if you needed a quote, you went to Charles and he was always so forthcoming. And, and, but the th- thing is, Charles says it in a way that it's not, you know, to me, it, it doesn't like, doesn't pierce somebody a, or eviscerate them. He says it in a way that's somewhat entertaining, but also kind of like with a, with an edge that says, I'm saying this because this is what I truly believe. And, and I think sometimes, unless you have that equity that Charles has, then you're going to come off as kind of bullish as as Shaq did in the Donovan Mitchell thing.
3: Fine line. I don't think people understand. Uh, I I really don't Charles. You could speak to this because you get a lot of credit for that show being as special as it is. And you deserve all the credit you get as a sports personality across decades. But I don't think people understand how hard Ernie's job is to be the one that you respect enough to be reined in when he's got to get back to business. I don't think people understand, uh, how good and solid your relationship has to be with each other for you to trust him, to always get you guys back on the rail.
1: First of all, Ernie can't say this publicly, but Ernie is the hardest working guy compared to us three knuckleheads. Like, (laughs) and I am, I am a distant second. I'm a way distant second to how hard Ernie works, but I know that I'm a, i am I work harder than Kenny and Shaq, not hating on those guys, (laughs) but like, Hey, er, hey, 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 see no, hey, see hey. how
0: he just said that, and all you can do is
1: chuckle at it. It's not like,
0: oh, that was mean. It was just hey, like that's hey, pretty hey, funny. Hey,
1: Dad, er, er, Ernie's on the roof. I'm like right here on this table, and Kenny and Shaq are under the table. If we get our only goal in life is to make sure Kenny shows up on time, and the next time he shows up on time would be the first time. <laughs> I mean, and Shaq, and Shaq is amazing. Shaq is the hardest working guy. I've ever met in my life. This dude has something to do every single day. Like, I've never met anybody, and I've been around Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, and guys. Like, Shaq has something to do every weekend and pretty much every day. I've never seen a guy that's got to shoot a commercial or make an appearance every single day of his life, Dan is crazy. I mean, he, he's unbelievable. He just
3: doesn't work that hard at your show. He just works hard <laughs> at life and making money in a lot of different other places other than your show. But how did you turn it into Shaq instead
1: of praise for Ernie? He gave me plenty. I don't need any more. Believe me. Er, listen, Ernie is the only guy he's, listen, I don't even think we understand everything he does because the point I was trying to make before you interrupted me as usual, <laughs> at some point he has to get us back on the rails and he does it in such a way that it's so seamless, but he goes to all the production meetings. Uh, he has all this stuff. And I made the mistake one time of tearing up his stuff. Kitty dared me. And I thought Ernie was going to kill me because he has all these notes that I'm a Dan. Like he knows every segment. Like I guarantee you, me, Kenny, and Shaq has no idea what segments mean. Like, yeah, we just doing this show. He's like, No, we got this is so like sometimes we're like, Oh, this is gonna be the first segment, this is gonna be the thirties, it's gonna be the forties, and we look at him like we have no idea what the hell that means. But he got it all written down meticulously. Ernie, you don't
3: get angry at these guys. You don't I can't imagine you getting angry at them, and I certainly can't imagine them getting mad at you.
0: No, because it's you know what? If if it's if it's good for the show, it's good for all of us. So it's if you look, if we if you have a thin skin on our show, you're gonna to leave. Yeah, you better not. We better not come to work if you got thin skin. You know, because shots are fired all the time, and it, and sure, it gets frustrating sometimes when you're trying to get through a highlight, and then Shaq throws out, "I got a, I got a question for the panel." You know, is this guy <laughs> is this guy top 18 all time for small forwards? And it's like we can discuss that later. Please let me do three more plays so the people <laughs> at home know how this game turned out. And so, no, it does. It just all it all it does is make you shake your head sometimes. But you, but it's never like. Oh, that's a deal breaker. I got to get out of here. But yeah, that's that's the beauty of the show. And and Stu God, you know that, too. You know that the unpredictable nature of the stuff. And, and sometimes the things that happen on a show were never discussed in a production meeting. It was just something that came up. It was organic. And then you ride it the rest of the way. It happens every day, uh, pretty much on our show. Charles,
2: I've told Ernie this. I, ter- I told uh, Tim Kylie, your executive producer, this. I love, like, I don't need the scores. I don't need the three additional highlights, Ernie. I love when the show gets off the rails. I love when Charles is doing what Charles does. And, and Shaq, my favorite episode of all time was during the playoffs where Shaq turned around, was going to the, the big screen, and tripped over the plant. And, Charles, you guys stayed there for 60 minutes, and I loved every goddamn
1: minute of it. It's my favorite episode of all time. Hey, Stu, I, I think that people don't understand. We're on from 8 o'clock. Well, now it's 7:30. We're on from 7:30 to 2 in the morning. If we sit there and talked about picking, the people says, Well, why is you all show successful? I says, We figured out the balance between watching basketball and having fun. I said, I don't think y'all understand. We're on from seven to eight to two in the morning. Hey, as much as I love basketball, I don't want to sit there and watch basketball for all those hours. That that that's just stupid. And we're trying to get people to watch our show. Like It's like when I watch a commercial, make me laugh. You're trying to sell me a product. If you make me laugh, that gets my attention. If you get on TV and says, hey, I want you to buy this product right here, like, no, nah, that ain't going to get my attention. I'm <laughs> Oh, but it's more than that.
3: It's, it's clear that you guys love each other, and it's clear that you've recreated the locker room. That's what you've done, really, with Ernie in the middle of it athletes all over the place, Charles, what they miss most is the locker room. You guys get to have that on television. You guys are doing, you're not playing in the game, but you guys have the family and the love of the locker room. Like that's what I see when I see your show.
1: Yeah. But, but it's because of everybody, Dan, like, We're the three, like Ernie's. Listen, I'm not blowing smoke up Ernie's ass, not that that wouldn't be fun. Ernie's the only guy on the show who's like really, really well prepared. That
3: doesn't sound like it's fun for anybody. You blowing smoke up anybody's ass doesn't sound fun for anybody at all. Yeah,
1: not that that wouldn't be fun. It'd be fun for the person I was blowing smoke up their ass. Ernie is the guy who works really, really hard. The people behind the scenes, uh, TK Fiorello, Jeremy, Alex, Underdog, they work really hard. We just get to come out and be the locker room, Dan. You're 100 correct, but it is scripted though to a certain degree because Ernie has to get us. Ernie's in and out. the one
3: scripted. You're not It's Ernie who's that.
1: like no, no, that's no, no. I'm saying that's him. what I'm saying. I said Ernie. Er, I said Ernie and the people behind the scenes they're scripted. Me, Kenny, and and Shaq are just in the locker room to pick it back on the point that you made. We're just acting like we're in the locker room. And let me tell you something, Dan. Ain't nothing like the locker room.
0: Dan and Stu, what are you guys doing right now? What's the, what's the future? What, you know, I'm hearing about, you know, Meadowlark uh, Media with John Skipper. So, I mean, for folks out there who got used to listening to the show, and Chuck and I, obviously, faithful listeners for years and years, where do you stand right now?
2: Uh, we have a weird kind of relationship where Dan and I love each other. And I think, you know, this is the, we've arrived at a, at a point where this is the closest we've ever been off the air. But Dan doesn't trust me. And so, therefore, he'd be better to answer that because he knows if he tells me, I'm going to leak it to everyone. I tell you. And that's why he hasn't told me. Yeah. And I'm
0: going to tell Cody. Uh,
3: <laughs> yeah, well, we, have, we haven't done a lot of this because we want to be careful. Uh, it is, it's a bit of a sensitive time. But the short answer is um, in leaving ESPN for, I think, reasons people all saw play out in public that don't need to uh, sort of be rehashed here, uh, We got our free agency at a good time to have free agency as the podcast market is exploding with people like Charles and Ernie coming and lending their time because this is a space where we have a, a valuable audience. And so we got our freedom. And with that freedom, for a couple of months, we've decided to do the show ourselves sort of in the dark shadows on the podcast because we have our feeds and we have our audience. So basically, we're doing a private show for free for our audience for a couple of months as we take on suitors uh, that will be our next partner in whatever it is that we do, whether it's podcast, radio. And so during this period of free agency, we're just sharing it with the audience. So we're doing shows two and three times a week. And it's part of building out a media content company that John Skipper is going to run for us. That's going to make other stuff beyond just our radio show. The first order of business, though, is to get our radio show with a partner, and then we're going to build a business
2: out uh, off of that. But Ernie, I will tell you during this free agency period, Charles, I'll tell you this as well. I pitched this to Tim Kylie. Feel free to have me in studio anytime you want, because I imagine myself kind of off to the side, you know, just giving hot takes, responding to what it is you guys are talking about. And making some gambling
0: picks. I mean, Ernie, if you how want to are get you, that done.
3: How from... are you angling for a job uh, on, that... their podca- on their podcast? On their show? Like, what are you
0: doing? Is this surprising to anyone in these squares right now?
3: All right. You can do it if you physically go on the show and blow smoke up Charles's ass. That is the only <laughs> circumstance under which you'd be allowed on the show.
2: I'd the fun for That'd be the fun part,
0: right? Stu Gotts, if you're really looking for that in, why don't you hit up your guy Lefko?
1: Listen, I
2: have uh I'll pick it up, but I wanted to go to you first. Ernie, he wanted you to go
1: to the A team. Yeah. Hey, listen, if you want a job at Turner, you should always talk to the Godfather. That's what we call Ernie. He's the godfather. I'm sorry, we're not hiring right now. <laughs>
3: how did that just happen? How did that become a question about what we're doing with our future? And yeah. he angled for a job
1: on the greatest sports studio show ever. Because he's looking at his future. <laughs> exactly. Hey, so Dan, let me ask you a question. I know how close you are to your parents. How was it working with your dad every day?
3: Oh, it was so interesting, Charles, because it was the greatest professional blessing of my life. It doesn't have a a second place. As much as I love this family that we've created in this environment here, uh, Stugatz just lost his mother so he could speak to some of this. But being able to age that way with my father, to connect through sports that late in life with my father, to be able to give my father, after he was thrown out of his job, after coming to this country to get me all of these freedoms, uh, late in life, he didn't get the ending he wanted at a fiberglass company where he was a factory foreman. All his stuff was just thrown in a garbage can in his late 50s. And that's it. That's where the American dream ended in terms of work with an employer just discarding him to do a show for ESPN in his second language as an industrial engineer who doesn't know that much about sports. For 10 years. I got closer to my father than I did. I connected my to my father there as an adult, a pleasure and a blessing more than I did anywhere in my childhood because they were too busy as exiles trying to survive. He was working all the time. Like my father, uh, my last year of high school was uh, commuting back and forth from Chicago on weekends just because he didn't want to move me. And so being able to do that for him and with him and repay that investment on, on what he did with me. Like, I, I don't have anything that compares to it. My, my guess is Charles, having talked to you about your grandmother, I'm guessing that's the closest relationship like that. Now imagine late, imagine being able to give that to your grandmother in your, in your forties or your fifties to be able to share that where my father, my father would walk through places and it was like a homecoming, uh, you know, float, like the king of a homecoming float, because People just gravitated toward whatever that was, the sitcom dad or Charles. Hell, I don't know why you gravitated toward it. You decided to pick the other side, the unpopular side of feuding with my father because you're zigging when (laughs) others are zagging. But you, Charles, (laughs) but you decided somewhere within that, that it would be fun to get close to my father. And he loves, you know, sending you middle fingers.
1: Your dad is just a (laughs) jackass, but your mom is a saint. Can you say some, uh, some kind words about your sweet mom? (laughs) I mean, she
3: was the, 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 my wife said this when, uh, my wife said this one time. Actually, it was the time that I met my wife. So, uh, she is, uh, gliding through a restaurant and my family is walking into the restaurant and at the front of the family, like a, a mother hen leading, uh, me, my brother, and my father through the restaurant was, you know, the head of the actual family. And my wife was watching this, uh, and she's like, that is not how I expected all of that to go, where it was that clearly that woman in charge of everybody. And all three of those people were just sort of filed behind her because everyone gravitates toward her the way you do, Charles, because she mothers everyone that way. And so she's uh, she's the secret, quiet kingpin of the family. And I'm always telling people that I, me and my dad are the third and fourth most
1: talented people in our family. You guys have been full circle on where sports are going print media as you say dan gas bags on television gas bags on radio are you encouraged or discouraged where sports media is going today
3: so all of sports media i mean how are we defining that because espn has sort of been the epicenter of that for a long time and i've been Uh, a bit disheartened, uh, disheartened at how ESPN has had to make some uh, decisions that for whether it's because, you know, Disney's getting hit from every side, and it's just a different climate in the streaming uh, world. I've just sort of been disheartened that it feels like all of journalism, it's not just sports, because this is the playground, Charles, it's all of journalism. Over the last, I don't know, 10 years, Uh, a hatchet has been taken to some of the things that I have cared about uh, beyond ESPN. When you talk about the things I used to value in sports media, almost all of them are dead. Like there aren't that many of them that are still vibrant. There's just been the evolutions of what has happened in sports media. But, uh, you know, we, we were talking before we started airing here, and Charles had mentioned something about not seeing Hamilton or not having seen a play like when's the last time you guys decided just on your own to pick up some long form piece of writing or had the attention span to sit down with something substantive investigative in sports like you guys tell me it feels like we're all sort of moving toward jazz hands predictions and entertainment and some of the more substantive stuff is uh is falling by the wayside.
2: Uh, I can answer that by saying never, but I'll tell you that I'm encouraged by it because to me it's like a buffet now. Like if you want the journalism, there's a place to get it. Uh, You know, you can go to places like The Athletic, ESPN is still doing some journalism. But if you're not interested in long-form pieces, then you could go to places and find what you want. You could get highlights. You could watch the games. And so I think there are more options, and more options to me is encouraging right, let because me... you get to cater it to how you want it to be, not how someone else wants
3: Let it. me ask you guys this question. How many people – there are so many people right now at the trough of sports media. You guys answer this for me. How many times are you turning on something somewhere and saying – I need to hear what this person has to say about this. These guys, okay, but how many of them are there? There, are, like, how many people like that are there? Charles happens to be one of them, Ernie. But you, I mean, you, hell, you come from, you descend from caring about all of this stuff from your father on. Like, how often are you seeking someone out because you're like, I need to hear this person's opinion on something?
0: I don't, I don't know how often it's a specific person. I just know that. Look, in the course of a day, if you were just to keep it on, say, ESPN, you're going to see the same story talked about 15 different times by 15 different people. And to me, it gets wearying.
1: I get frustrated. Well, we've made these guys, and I'm not going to be all specific because, like I say, because some of these guys are my friends. But when you act like you know everything about every sport, that disheartens me. And we've made some of these guys such big stars. I'm discouraged. Because now what has happened, it's become a, a arms race with who I can insult the most. And I, and I don't ever want to be part of that. I never want to be part of that, ever. The thing, guys,
0: that I find frustrating at times is that there's such a rush to label everything that we see from one night to the next as the greatest this or the greatest that. So if somebody has a big game, it's like, yeah, but is it top five? Is this the, is this the best 40-point, 20-rebound game of all time? You know, it's like, can we just enjoy, sometimes just enjoy somebody's great performance without having to no, rank no, it Ernie, every no, day? Ernie, no. As, no, 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 no. No, and that's why I hate that. That's why it's like, I got to turn it off.
2: No, but Ernie, hold on a second, because I've always on this show represented uh, what I believe sports fans do and who they are. And so, Charles, you played Ernie. You're a pillar of journalism. You're like the greatest to ever do this, okay? Studio host. Dan is a great writer. But I'm a fan, and that's what fans do. We watch a game. One drive, the Jet quarterback could be the best quarterback I've ever seen. The next drive, I want to trade him away to San Diego. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it is. That's how fans do it. And, yes, 40 and 16 from Dame Lillard last night, to me, that's one of the top five games I've ever seen for a guy who scored 40-plus points
3: and had 16 to <laughs> 6. But that's how fans do it. That's what we did.
1: <laughs> and that's who's watching you guys, uh, by the way. Okay, give an example. When uh, Peyton Manning was 1-15, it was a learning process. Now, after one year, oh, he's a bust. It's like this guy, He's. why do we take this guy with the number one pick?
3: But hold on, Charles. Let's just examine this for a second because, (laughs) Ernie, you are eminently reasonable. We are looking at the two of you. Uh, Charles is the the extreme opinionated former athlete. Ernie, you are eminently reasonable, and you know – that eminently reasonable is no way to get ahead in the television business. <laughs> Charles, Barkley, <laughs> Charles Barkley is the star of your proceedings because eminently reasonable at every turn. Let me be fair and nuanced about this. Let me not have a jagged opinion. Let me just be fair and wait a minute. No, that I don't know does not work in this industry. It's television. What I'm saying about the media is true, that you've got a bunch of people at this trough. All of them are giving you opinions. And even you two guys, Ernie and Charles, who who work in this industry, you're not that interested in seeking out person X on opinion, uh, whatever the opinion is. And when I ask you from that perspective to to give me someone who you want to hear from, then doesn't the person on television need to keep going more and more extreme on this guy sucks. This guy's awful order to
1: make their mark there. That's a great thing. You just said, I think some of these guys on television today, they're like, Well, I said this last week, I got to be more extreme. You can't cry wolf every week. I think you got to cry wolf uh, one out of five times or maybe one out of four times. But I do. I think we've gotten to the point where you what you said is like, no, we don't have to cry wolf every week. No, you only have to cry wolf one out of five times. But
3: but Ernie, it's commerce. Is it not like so much of what we're doing? We're going to create programming across all of these networks and and much of it is going to be argument television or prediction television, then isn't much of it going to be yelling and screaming about hair splitting, about whether LeBron is better than Michael, even though we can argue for all of time and there's not much of a difference in whatever the argument is?
0: Yeah, true. But it, that doesn't mean it can't get tiring. And then it's like some night, some days it's like, do we have to have this conversation again? Do we have to compare <laughs> this generation again to this? And is this guy and and then if you don't agree, then oh, then well, you just don't know what you're talking about. I that that to me is what gets what gets uh, very wearying. Hey, look, um, I wish we could go on because there are a million things we could do. I'd shoot. I'd love to talk about uh, uh, all the all the marriage advice that Stu Gotts has given to to Dan, the newlywed. I mean, I'd love to hear that. But the advice that
2: he gave him was not
0: to get married. He
2: didn't listen to me.
0: Hey, I here's a little bit of advice for you, Dan, from a guy who's been married for 38 years. Yes, of course.
3: I think you are a source of wisdom at every turn. I wouldn't take I don't know that I would take Charles's advice necessarily on relationships, but I think I'd be I'd be in the game to hear some Ernie advice.
0: Okay, so next time you're in a social setting and who knows when that's going to be, but you and your wife are in a social setting, you're at a party and someone asks you, "So Dan, how how long have you guys been married?" You look at your wife Look back at the person who asked the question, and you say, "Not long enough." <laughs> <laughs> good. I'm telling you, Stu Gotts, you can use that too. It's good for at least 36 holes of golf.
2: I'm upset I didn't think of it, and I absolutely will be using it going
0: <laughs> <it> forward. <laughs> Guys, it's been wonderful talking to you. It's always great to reconnect, and cannot wait to see where the show goes, how it comes back, whether and what platforms it's on, and all that stuff. But your voices, your show, your mix uh have provided so many great uh, great moments and, and so many laughs uh at a time when we really need it and um well done, you guys. well done.
3: Thank you for the support. It is meaningful coming from the two of you if I may, just real quickly because we are sort of floating out there by ourselves. Tell your listeners a new audience, Levitard and Friends podcast network and the Dan Lebetard show with Stugatz find it uh where you find your stuff. On your devices. Uh, we've got stupidity. we've got South Beach Sessions, we've got Mystery Crate. We want people to be a part of what it is that we're doing and we're grateful that you're giving us some access to your audience. So thank you for letting us get that out there.
2: Yeah, thank you for the kind words. And uh, Charles, I promise you, wherever we go, you'll know before I do. Okay, he ain't telling me, so you guys will probably He know. thinks
3: he's going to be on your show.
1: <laughs> yeah. First of all, would you tell Dan that dudes don't FaceTime each other? Dan's got this really bad habit of FaceTiming me. Dudes don't FaceTime each other. And he has the bad habit of not having his shirt on when he facetime me. It's, uh-uh. He did that to you! <laughs> he did that to you, Only my closest you. friend. Dan is the only dude that FaceTimes me. And, and then he doesn't have a shirt on. He'll be laying in bed with no shirt on. I'm like, I can't unsee this, Dan. Stop it. <laughs>
2: He does it to me all the time. I just don't answer, Charles.
3: Charles, you have never been wearing a shirt anytime I call (laughs) you either. Don't make it sound like you're somebody who's walking around the
1: house in a shirt. i got a better body than you, Dan. I don't want to see your body. Ah. Sounds like a good place to
0: stop. Stu Godz, Dan Levitar joining us here on the Steam Room. Guys, can't thank you enough. We'll see you soon.
2: and Ernie in the Steam Room. Come and join us in the Steam Room. Chuck and Ernie in the Steam
0: Room. Leave your towel on in the Steam Room. Back inside the Steam Room as we wrap things up. Look, here's, you know, we're kind of a fluid podcast, and so uh, we went kind of extra long with Dan Lebatard and Stu Gatz, and the legendary Tim Kiley was gracious enough to um, relinquish his time for this week. So I know that may be very disappointing for many loyal steamers to not hear from TK, uh, but get over it. But also uh, I think I've been uh, remiss in acknowledging all the members of the crew who put this together every week. We're always talking about Cat Michael Kaplan, obviously, but Audrey Martin, Sean Bartley, Matt Mansfield, if it were not for that whole crew, then, then the, uh, then the steam room never happens. And you know what a tragic loss that would be. Um, Now, all of that being said, 404-987-0330, 404-987-0330. That's uh, the number for Chuck's answering machine. We've got a couple of calls today. And I know you want to get to that thing, but you got to hold off for just a second, Chuckster, okay?
1: I got a note from Cap. It says, do not open until answering machine segment. I've had this thing for a minute. Yeah. So I'm curious to see what it is.
0: So let's have the first answering machine.
1: You've reached Charles Barkley. Leave a message, America. Hi, Charles.
0: I just wanted to ask how you are going to celebrate your birthday this year. And also, I want to know, do you still get excited for your birthday?
1: Yes, I still get excited for my birthday. Uh, I'm going to have a quiet night with the boys it's saturday right it's saturday yes how many are you 58 58 and we're gonna just smoke cigars and have a nice steak dinner uh about five or six of my boys and sit out in the backyard with some great tequila and smoke some cigars very nice um and now i guess uh, go ahead and open that up okay
0: that didn't sound good
1: no, it was just, uh, uh uh-oh. <laughs> Y'all got jokes now. You know what I think we
0: need to do? We probably need to play the clip from an earlier episode of The Steam Room in which you uh, you were um, reviewing that movie, the DVD of which you hold in your hand, <laughs> 1917. Oh, this is
1: going to be good.
0: Of the ones that you've seen, Chuckster,
1: what gets your vote for best picture? 1917. It's outstanding. It's Well, it's a typical. Wait a minute. I I haven't seen 1917. I apologize. I just like
0: the way you started describing 1917. You know, it's kind of your typical.
1: Hold it. I haven't seen that. 1917 is going to win.
0: And again. You haven't seen
1: it. I haven't seen it. One of your better movie reviews of all time, Chuckster. I'll give you that. Uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I made a good decision to go to see The Gentleman. That's the movie I switched up and didn't go see 1917. Watch The Gentleman if you get a chance. You sure you saw it? Oh, I saw it. Okay. I got a man question on Charlie Hunnam. I do.
0: Okay. Let's uh, (laughs) let's move on to uh, call number two. What's up, Chuck? Happy birthday, big dog.
2: <laughs> I didn't know what was going to happen. Um,
0: okay.
2: I didn't know what was going to happen if I called this, so this is a nice little friend
1: Happy birthday, my boy Chuck, all the way from Sydney, Australia. This is Halim from Indonesia. I just want to say Charles Barkley. Happy birthday and also your guarantees are the best. And And I didn't, not in a bad way, though. Big up, Charles. Happy birthday, buddy, all the way from Ireland. And uh, is there any chance we would release the 18-plus version of the Silhouette Challenge? (laughs) Look forward to it, buddy. I just wanted to wish
0: Charles a very happy birthday. All the crap he takes from Kenny and others on TNT is amazing to me. Happy
1: birthday, Charles Barkley. Happy birthday to you. Wow, that's pretty awesome. That had an international flavor to it, did
0: it not, Chuckster?
1: Man, it's amazing to me that people in different countries get to listen to our podcast. I mean, that's that's I mean, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's pretty I, mean, I, I mean, I mean, it's it's been awesome doing the thing, but man, to have people around the world listen to your podcast, that's pretty special.
0: That podcast is called the Steam Room, and. Um we appreciate each and every one of you, especially the uh, loyal steamers who have subscribed. So you can keep on doing that. We, we appreciate it very much. And uh, thanks again to Tim Kylie for uh, taking a step back because we, we had such a good time talking to, uh, to Dan and Stu um, and wish them the best in their futures too, because they've uh, they've been tremendous and uh, been really entertaining and
1: informative on the air. Haven't they? Yes, they have. And they, and like I say Dan's been a great friend and I love his mom. She's a saint. His dad, not so much. (laughs) And on that note, we thank you very much for tuning in to
0: the Steam Room. uh, For Charles Barkley, Ernie Johnson, y'all have a great weekend. Yes, sir.